I know I say it every week, every week I say it gets better on better, better and better because I can't believe the wonderful guests we have on our show. Definitely. This is going to be one that knocks it out of the park again. I'm Michael Dismuke. I am a uh, blogger on continuing missions, which is the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures RPG, Captain Log, and now the, uh, oh, I actually can't announce. Oh yes, I can announce it. Sorry. I'm thinking about the timing of our podcast of the Federation Klingon war tactical campaign too, which is the biggest thing uh, that, that was announced. In fact, this week when we recorded the show, I'm also a lead writer uh, for captain's log and a freelance writer for star Trek adventures, RPG, and also coming soon. I have a mag, uh, uh, article in star Trek Explorer magazine, which I'm happy uh, for the first time. And of course, all this could not have happened unless it was for Jim Johnson. Hey, everybody. Jim Johnson. I am the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG and the Captain's Log solo RPG, both published by Modifius Entertainment. Low these many years, eight years strong, 120 odd episodes with Michael on this uh, weekly podcast here, which is super exciting. And we have an opportunity. We have had an opportunity over the last couple of years to get all kinds of amazing guests on the show, whether they're uh, super fans, writers, artists, layout people, production people on the show. It's like all kinds of people uh, somehow are willing to come on the show with us and talk. And we have a very special guest tonight that I am really, really excited to to uh, to introduce. I'm here to introduce Heather Antos. Thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. And uh, we want you to introduce yourself, but also uh, as tradition here on the show, if you can uh, you know introduce yourself, plug whatever is important that you would like to plug, and then uh, tell us what your favorite Star Trek series is and your favorite Star Trek character. Oh my gosh, so much pressure. Thank you guys so much for having me. Really excited to be here. Um, for people who don't know who I am, uh, I'm Heather Antos. I am the group editor of License and Comics over at IDW Publishing, where for the last two years, almost two years, two no, two years, I've been uh, captaining all the Star Trek comic books over there. Um, if you don't read Star Trek comics, I'd be confused as to why you're you're listening to this podcast. But uh, if you do just read comics in general, I've worked on just under a thousand comic books. So I guarantee you've probably read my work somewhere. Uh, awesome, awesome. <laughs> um, as for favorite, God, favorite series and favorite character. This is this is really, really tough. Um, this is so tough because there's there's I don't know if you guys know, there's a lot of Star Trek. A little bit. There? Yeah, we're yeah. a little familiar with it. Yeah. Um, this is so tough. If I if, if it was like gone to my head, I have to pick a show to watch right now. I'd probably say Strange New Worlds. It's definitely become like a comfort show um, for me. Um, it's just it is like. It's. It's not allowed to be that good, you know, like it's so it's so good. Every episode is so good. I was not expecting to like ugly cry as much as I have during both seasons of that show. Um, so, yeah, definitely Strange New Worlds. And then favorite character. God, also very, very difficult. Um, Who keeps popping up in your mind? It has to be that person for now. It could I've, change. I have three. I have three. Um, Name them all. Name them all. So I'm I'm obsessed with Badgie uh, to a very unhealthy degree. Um, to, <laughs> I have a lot of Badgie 
uh, memorabilia. Um, Mariner and I, I think are very, very similar people. Um, so I, I think I relate to Mariner the most. Um, but Beverly Crusher is, is if I had to pick an all time, I think Beverly Crusher is definitely like, she's, she's the beast. She's the best. Gates McFadden liked one of my tweets once and I screenshotted it and it saved and a folder That's for a rainy awesome. day when it's a bad day. If I ever got to meet her, I would just, I would, I don't think a lot when I meet celebrities, but like, she's definitely one because like TNG I grew up on mm-hmm. and like, she was it for me. Um, I think I would like definitely freak out a little bit. if I. Is there. that why you made sure she was standing here? For those who can't, who aren't watching us on YouTube, <laughs> I'm pointing at, Beverly Crusher as a character from the comic series. <laughs> yeah, I mean, any of the Beverly Crusher centric uh, covers you see out there for Star Trek were definitely hand chosen and picked by me because uh, she's the best. Good. Very good. Those are great selections. Yeah, absolutely. Great selection. I, I I really always I remember growing up with Next Generation, really appreciating Beverly. And I wish they had done more with her on the show, because like uh, like one of my favorite episodes uh, is Remember Me. Because there was just so much for her to do in that episode. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, why aren't they using her more and more and more? It's like, I, I mean, I know it's an ensemble cast and they had to focus on, uh, you know, Picard and Data more often than not. But it's like, man, there was so much that that they could have had Crusher do beyond just being the mom to to Wesley. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah she, really she talks it. quite a bit about that on the center seat, uh, that that documentary yeah. and kind of hear about the politics behind that. But now she's back in force, thanks to IDW Publishing, which we're so <laughs> happy about. I have to ask you just for people who don't know, um, Heather, how did you get into the realm of comics, science fiction in the first place? Um, yeah, I mean, I've just always kind of been around it my entire life. Um, for comics, my mom would say I drew comics before I knew what comics were. Um, I've been writing and illustrating my own stories literally since I was a little kid um, and could hold a crayon. Uh, so that's just kind of always been a part of me. And then like, I grew up, my dad shared TNG with me. He shared Indiana Jones, Star Wars. Um, my favorite television show growing up was the, um, 1960s Adam West for award Batman show. Like it's just kind of always been a part of who I am. Um, but I didn't realize that comics was a profession, a career path that you could have until I was well, like late into college, you know, growing up, I'm from a very, very small town in Michigan in the Midwest, where when we were bored, we went to Walmart to hang out. So on career day, you didn't have like, you know, Dan Slott, writer of Spider-Man, come in to talk to to the kids. That wasn't an option. Um, And so when I was trying to figure out, you know, my career path in life, a good friend of mine said very plainly, well, you like comics. Why don't you just do that? Um, Oh, so I didn't know it was that easy. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just pick a job off the comics tree, you know? Um, and, uh, at that moment, something just clicked for me that, oh yeah, this is something I can do. And so I've always been a bit, um, bit of a, of a tenacious force. If I set my sights on something, I, I, I accomplish it, I do it. And, um, I just really became, re- I began to research like the different career paths in comics and, and how to make a comic. And I started self-publishing, um, and building my network. And from there, I got the attention of some editors at Marvel in time when they were about to relaunch that other star franchise that shall not be mentioned here. Uh, (laughs) I like um, hearing that. Can you talk a little bit? We talk about it quite a bit here um, on the show and Jim, you know, 
add on to this question too, about how you have to write for yourself before you're ever going to write for anybody else. That that we talk about how RPG is your chance to practice writing every single day, especially if you play like solo RPG or something or creating narrative. Oh so can you talk about yeah. how important it is just to get into the habit of writing before you are going to actually become a say you know, freelance or professional writer? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, before this is actually perfect because before I got hired to work on Star Wars comics at Marvel, um, I was part of a six year long Star Wars tabletop RPG campaign. Um, and, uh, I'm still friends with all those guys to this days. You, you guys know how it is. It's family, you know, um, and especially in comics, it translates to comics so much because comics, is a team sport, as I like to say, um, you know, there is no one role that is greater than the other. You need all parts equally in order to achieve, um, your mission, so to speak, uh, just as you need, you need, you need that, that, uh, that wizard, you need that rogue, you need that, you know, bard. Um, and yes, you do need that bard, uh, you know, in order to raid that dungeon. Um, and you need the improvisation skills of all, all the people involved. And so um, I think that this, the skills you develop when doing tabletop RPG um, definitely translate into comics, especially because, and IP, because you have the sandbox, right? You have the parameters, the toys of which you know you're allowed to play with, Um and yes, your your DM may have a mission and may have rules and may have like a set force of plan. And then your players may decide, that's cute. We're going to go completely off the grid and do our own thing. And everyone's had that DM that is like, no, you have to do it my way. But that's not fun. That's not fun for anyone. And so developing the improv skills, developing the teamwork and thinking on your feet and how to... Um, have an arc for your character, how to maintain a voice for your character um, that isn't just a projection of yourself, even though that's okay too sometimes. Um, but especially when working with Star Trek, with Star Wars, with Batman, with Spider-Man, whatever, you have to be able to adapt to those worlds, those characters, those voices. Um, and you get, a, you get all of that in, in tabletop RPG. I like that. I, I, I'm writing down a bunch of questions, Jim, just because I don't want to, I want to, I love, she, yeah, yeah. So I love, I, we love talking about writing an RPG as literature okay. here. So Jim, go first and then I'll okay. get my question in. So, so really, I, this is all great information, Heather, and, I, and I'm loving it because like uh, way back in the dark ages of the 1990s, when, when the comic industry was just like literally blowing up everywhere and every, comic company was doing more number ones than you can you know shake a stick at is like oh here's a new comic here's a new comic here's and there was such a glut of stuff on the market right so my friends and i of course you know thought that was the right time to to indie publish our own stuff and uh you know so we did it on a on a dime <laughs> you know and it was like with black and white and you know we just had to make it work and we managed to get three issues out and then we just couldn't compete with the, the hey, that's that's market great that though that's there. hard getting was, one issue out is an accomplishment yeah. it was so. super hard it was yeah. unbelievably difficult um but what i'm curious about because you, you were talking a lot of writing stuff like like in terms of like voice and style and stuff so i'm curious like in your experience like how how does comic writing mm -hmm. compare to like screenwriting or teleplays or novels or short stories like i mean i feel like a lot of it's all 
related. Like if you've got the basic building blocks, you can you can probably go into it. But maybe you could talk a little bit more about like how do you actually put together a comic script compared to like other types of writing and uh, and, and bring it to life? Yeah, I love I love that question. Um, you know, writing for different formats um, and different mediums is a lot like uh, being a dancer and, and dancing different styles, right. You know, um, it's all very similar. You're, you're using the body, right. You're, you're isolating different body parts, but doing hip hop is very different than dancing Swan Lake. Right. Um, but, uh, so, uh, it's, it's all about understanding the format and a lot of people, you know, might think that, oh, well, you know, a comic script, and and like a movie script, they're both scripts and they kind of look the same if you just look at it at a glance, right? Um, but they're actually very, very different. And um, sometimes movie movie writers in particular can sometimes be some of the more difficult ones to train uh, to write comics because movies are, I don't know if you know this, moving pictures, right? And a comics panel is a static image. Um, and so I have a collection of like some of the quote unquote worst panel descriptions I've ever read in scripts. And there's a script like from like years and years and years ago, like that before I was born. And it's like Captain America is standing on land and he throws his shield and he and so and so catches it and zooms in and he throws it back. And this is all in one panel. <laughs> exactly. I've seen this. Yeah. How does the camera zoom in one panel while he's throwing, while someone catches, right? That's like three different panels right there. A single panel is a single action, a single shot. Um, and so you have to keep those fundamental building blocks in mind. The other thing is that a comic book is roughly around 20 pages. That's not a lot. You might think like, oh my God, I have to write 20 pages. That's so much, but it's really not a lot of space in order to tell very complex stories and sometimes dual stories with multiple characters and how many people do you have to fit in a panel? And oh my God, someone has to draw this, right? Uh, someone has to draw this teensy little panel with seven people in it and 27 word balloons, right? There's all of these little things that you don't think about that need to be considered when constructing um, your story. You have to think about page turns, right? You want, um, you know, I always suggest a right-hand page, your um, your odd number pages are, are your page turns. And so that last panel, I always suggest to writers who are starting out, you want that to end on an action, someone reaching for a door, someone about to pull a sword out of a sheath. So, you know, give me a reason to turn that page, right? And you always want your splash pages to fall on the left-hand side, your even page numbers, because you want to turn into a reveal, a moment. You want to make sure those moments are earned, right? Um do you yeah. teach a course on this, by the way? <laughs> I know you teach courses. Is this one of the courses you teach? Um, I, I, I don't. I, I talk to a lot of students and, and talk about this stuff on on podcasts um, like this. Um, but uh, I've been doing this a long time, so <laughs> well, I, I, I love it. I, you know, I, uh, I had worked with the Comic Creator Network through San Diego Comic Con and produced my own graphic novel. Did two kickstarters on it. And Congratulations! It was painful, but believe me, it was. You know, I look back on it, it was the worst work I've ever done, but it was the best <laughs> training I ever had um, because working with the artist, which I really appreciated, she was really talented, Susan Sheng. She was out of the San Francisco 
um, Academy there of arts. And she took on the role of being both line artists and color. And it was just, I felt so bad after. And I, the reason I say this, because there was a point I wrote down, you talked about um, playing RPG as a group, as a collaborative operation, just like working with a team of comic book writers. And I want to kind of clinch on that for a little bit, because we've all seen it in the art industry where someone maybe is a fantastic writer, or maybe they're a fantastic line letterer, you know, they're, they're fantastic at one thing, but they're not a fantastic team player. Mm-hmm. And so I want to talk about the chops again, that RPG, let's go back to that a little bit more. Um, because I, I don't know if you've heard, uh, Jim Modifius produced a book called the game master's guide and the player's guide. And it was all about being the best you can be at those. So talk to us a little bit about that for the aspiring writers out there, what they should really be doing in the way of collaboration around the table. Yeah, for writers in general, um, I always suggest for them to remember that someone has to draw this at the end of the, at the end of the day, um, you know, and it might take you five minutes to write a splash page and your splash page is an entire army is running down a, a mountain on horses. Every single person has bows and arrows and cannons and swords and, and, and it's raining and there's lightning and there's a flock of birds and you can see every blade of grass and, 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 right. That took me what? 15 seconds to spew out. Now someone has to draw those hundreds of horses, those hundreds of people, those hundreds of weapons, those thousands of blades of grass, the, you know, those raindrops, those and compose it in a way that looks cool uh, and can fit the word balloons. Um, and that takes a very long time to do. Um, and and now if this subsequent pages and sequences are the battle scene of these hundreds of horses and hundreds of swords and, 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 and right? Um, it's it's a lot, right? And and we do have these, you know, th- we have these moments, we have these sequences, we have these comics, and they're they're necessary for sure. Um, but if that is your entire twenty pages, like oh my god, <laughs> um, that poor artist. Uh, I also think too, you know, it, it's being a creator is a narcissistic pursuit in and of itself. It just is, um, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's, it's, you know, we want to tell our stories and put our stories out in the world. So the world can pat us on the back and tell us what a good job we did. Um, and that's, that's just being a creator. Uh, and that's okay. But, um, a lot of times, especially beginning writers are thinking so much about this is my vision and my story. And I want it my way, my, 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 my dance monkey dance, draw my book. Right. Um, which is kind of inhumane and disrespectful for the amount of craft and skill that it takes an artist to produce the work. Um, and so a lot of times I often say as a writer, you know, a really good way to get an artist to work with you that might not work with you otherwise that you really want to work with and maybe can't afford their full rate and, you know, whatever is to ask that artist, what do you want to draw? What is something you've always wanted to draw? You know, and I might be like, you know, I really love penguins and no one has given me a story that's just all about penguins. I would really love to draw a story about penguins. I got you, Heather. I will write a story about penguins for you to draw, right? 
Um, and then you're going to get their best work because it's something they're very enthusiastic and want to do. I love that advice. Yeah. So a, a related question then. So like, I know, you know, in, in writings, short story writers, novelists, and uh, uh, stage, stage writers, right? Stage play writers, like the, the writer is the, is the king or the queen, the goddess, the words don't change unless that, unless that writer says, yes, you could change that uh, by and large. Right. Um, but, but, you know, stage plays or uh, screenplays, teleplays, and it sounds like comic books too, is super collaborative where you really need to be working together with a team to make things happen and you change like i mean i we know from star trek right they are constantly changing the script and getting different colored pages every day that they need to you know pull, pull together so um i was curious if you could speak from like obviously the comic perspective like like how collaborative is it for a writer like obviously the writer needs to understand the language to some extent and needs to understand how panels work and how you can make things flow in in you know panel to panel or page to page uh so like um you know in your experience are writers like really trying to to think like, like obviously they're writing their story right and they're writing their dialogue and they're writing their descriptions but are, are they trying to think in terms of like panels because like i would think as a writer if i'm collaborating with an artist i would want to I mean, we do it at Medipius, right? When I write art briefs for our artwork, I try to give the artist a sense of what we're looking for, but I don't want to be so prescriptive that they're feeling like they're boxed into what they must create because I want to give them the creativity and the freedom to make something cool because that's why we're hiring them, obviously, right? Uh, so, like, how much um, flexibility is there? And does it, do your writers understand that, you know, there's going to be some some give and take there? Yeah, I mean, there's always always uh, a varying degree of this, yeah. right? Okay. I, I think Alan Moore is pretty infamous, uh, infamously known for the amount of detail he puts into his scripts, right? Um, if you've ever read an Alan Moore script of like Watchmen, View for Vendetta, you know, whatever. Um, if there is a bookshelf in the in the panel. Um, and you can see the title of the book on that bookshelf. Alan Moore wrote in that script how many books are on that bookshelf and exactly which pages are torn and what titles are on there. If there's a half-eaten apple on that table and the desk and, and you know, a coffee cup spilled over, Alan Moore wrote that in that script to be like that, right? There are some writers that are very, very meticulous and very intentional. Um, and you know what? I think Alan Moore's done okay for himself as a writer. I think, I think it worked out for him. Um, but then there are other writers that, um, you know, I think... Uh, and uh, Warren Ellis is, is one that comes to mind where his scripts are and Batman walked into a room. Right. And then and then you have the artist do here's this huge theater that's drawn from a fisheye lens and a chandelier and all of these these things. Right. That was not in the script at all um which is fine and great and that's awesome that's that's part of the beauty of of those collaborations and so you, you know in in comics you tend to find like in in film television other other collaborative creative forms um you find teams that tend to stick together and work together a lot um and it's because they they found this alchemist sort of relationship that really works um well uh together um and so, you know, you, you just you just have varying degrees of this in and, um, and things like Star Trek, right? And IP, 
there's definitely a level of rigidity solely of the fact that it is an IP, it is a franchise that none of the creators working on it own. Um, so at the end of the day, the licensor has a lot more say and, and you know, um, what we can adjust, what we can't show, what we, you know, um, you need to show it this way, X, Y, and Z. Um, but I'm working on a really cool arc right now of Star Trek with uh, Jackson and Colin um, where we're doing some really, really weird stuff um, and getting to see, you know, there's stuff where Jackson and Colin write, write it in, in the panels. And I'm just like, very curious to see how this turns out. I have no idea how we're going to draw this, right? Um, and then we send it to our artist who hasn't been announced yet. Um, so I can't say. Um, but like, you know, getting pages in my inbox are just like some of the coolest things because I never would have pictured it in this way. Um, you know, seeing their interpretation of these like really weird stuff that we're doing is is so cool. And that's and that's part of the fun, you know, there's a level of trust, right? Same with same with your your tabletop RPGs, right? There's a tr- level of trust you have with your team that I'm gonna throw you something weird, right? It's that trust fall. And you're going to catch me, you know, you're going to catch me and and throw me back. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because they came on our show a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things they talked about is how years of tabletop RPG and them being in a team together informs their comic writing now. Um, and there was something you said that I want to ask you about, because you said that, you know, the GM can build the best game in the world. The player is going to break it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I tell Jim all the time that whenever I go into a game as a player, I'm trying to, or, or I'm trying to write a story. I break the, I want to break things and make the heroes fix it. So with that said, you said that, that, um, that kind of translates into the comic world again. And now you just hit it, you know, talking about the kind of stories that are dropping in your inbox. Um, how does that work in a comic realm where someone's trying to, you said, you know, play outside the rules, especially for an established IP like Star Trek. How do you do it so that it still gets, you know, it slides into home plate um, without getting smacked back too hard? Jim, Jim, we get edited a lot, you know, every and his take on it, too, is good because I know we get slapped back a lot um, sometimes from the IP. So how do you deal with that and still try to get your story birthed? Yeah, um, again, trust is a lot of it. You know, it's it's so funny because when. Um, when I started working on Star Trek, I was warned, like, they're tough. Paramount's tough, man. Paramount's really tough. They say no to a lot of things. Um, and uh, just to pat myself on the back, they've never said no to a single thing I pitched them um, to the state. Um, or the only times they've ever said no is, no, we can't because of this is happening in a show, right? Um, so, but uh, yeah, and and it's and it's building that trust, building that trust that, you know, um, with, with things like IP, we are going to put the toys back in the box, right? We're not going to break your babies, um, you know, or the babies that they do let us break. Um, it's, it's done intentionally and with care. And I think that's a lot of it at the end of the day with an IP is, is to build that trust with, with the IP holder. Um, you know, Jackson and Colin have been working with Star Trek for a very long time for, for instance, that, you know, um, the folks over there, like trust that they know what they're doing. And so we get to play and do some really weird stuff, um, that I can't believe we get to do all the time, always. Um, and it's, and it's been really, really fun in that regard. Um, but I, I often view, you know, um, I'm a stickler for, for planning, 
Um, I, there's, there's a lot of times where like writers just kind of like write and do their thing and turn the script in. And I'm so big on breaking a story before a script is written and having like an outline as tight as possible. Um, you know, and that'll start with, give me a two sentence pitch of what you want the story arc to be. Right. Um, because if that two sentence doesn't hook me, if I'm not interested in it, I'm not, why, why are you going to write a five issue outline? Not do not waste my time. Do not waste your time. Um, cool. We have that two sentence. All right. Give me a one sheet. Right. Um, cool. We have a one sheet. We're happy with that. Give me an outline for the whole, whole arc. And then we'll break down every single issue, you know, from there. And, and once that's done, then we'll go to script. But even sometimes when we hit a script, right, what worked in the outline doesn't work on the page and we might need to recalibrate. And I often compare it to whether it's, you know, whether I'm working on IP or creator own stuff, um, I, as, as your editor, I'm, I'm Google maps, I'm Google maps trying to find the best, uh, route to the destination. And we know what the destination is. We know where we want to end up, but do we want the scenic route? Do we want the most fuel efficient route? Do we want to take the route with holes, right? Which, which are the routes we're ending up on. And sometimes, you know, there's road construction. Sometimes there's an accident. Sometimes we take a wrong turn, right? Let's recalibrate. Let's find the best path forward. Um, and sometimes that means deviating from that original outline and coming up with a new route together. I love everything you're saying as a, <laughs> as a, as an outliner for everything I do as much as possible, except maybe short stories. But even with a short story, I'll, I'll do a couple of uh, bullet points or a couple of sentences just so I can get my head wrapped around where I'm starting, where I'm going and where I want to end. Right. But uh, for like novels and, and, and uh, stage plays and uh, tell plays, I need an outline. Otherwise it, I go way off into the weeds and I'm like, now where am I? I'm 60,000 words into a novel. I have no idea where I'm going. I'm wasting my time. And then there's just so much more work to recalibrate yeah. and get it going. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, even though you're working on a 20 page script, you've still got, I mean, I'm sure it's still a lot of work to, to make it all happen. So I, it's just fascinating to hear the process. And uh, also it's fascinating to hear your perspectives about working with Paramount because it's very similar to, to how we roll uh, where like, I think 98% of the time they don't say no to anything really. Cause they, you know, they trust us that we're respecting the property. We love the property. And I think the only times we've really gotten to know is when we want to put somebody's likeness into a piece of artwork and they don't have the rights or the estate doesn't yeah. want to use that likeness or something. And we're like, oh, darn it. Okay, well, we'll find another another route to this or something. Um, I think the only challenge that we've really had with Paramount ever is uh, with the Lower Decks book that we did. Uh, they had some very specific notes on that uh, because in some places we weren't funny enough. And in some places we took Badgie a little too far. Like, like <laughs> I, I was thinking Badgie, he, you could be as malicious as you want with that. But uh, uh, Mike McMahon really helped us kind of like dial it in a little bit. So I am, I am so grateful for how knowledgeable that team is. And uh, I'm sure you're getting it even more so because you're getting, you're doing both visuals and story, right? So you've got, and you're doing visuals far more than we are, right? I mean, we're doing a bunch of half page illustrations in our books, but you're doing, I mean, your, your stuff is visual all the time, right? So a really fascinating perspective, Heather, thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a team, it's just that team sport, right? It's yeah. that's, and, and Paramount's a big part of that. They're, they're part mm -hmm. of that team. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm just thankful because you brought Harry Kim back fighting dinosaurs. And so <laughs> that storyline there, yeah, I was just like, you know, he's, I, I could cry when I saw that scene, which is really good. I'm glad people responded well to Harry Kim coming back because when when Jackson Colin first pitched that, bringing him back and and you know that capacity, and he's not 
just ensign Harry Harry Kim anymore. I was like, I don't know about this guy's. I don't know. Like, I had to have to. Everyone this, talks about this, it. This could go one of two ways. <laughs> that is hilarious. And and let's talk a little bit about you know the, some of the characters because we're we're big into character development, of course, in RPG, and people love developing their characters. They love these story arcs you mentioned. Um, and you know, even looking for those of you who aren't um, you know, watching us on YouTube, but dialing in you know we're looking at this fantastic cast of characters two which were new characters introduced and created um did jody hauser create some of these characters too I, or was it just jackson and colin on these okay i just want to make sure i give credit where credit's due um so let's talk about that how did you pick what people are calling the avengers of star trek yeah. what was what was part of the formula behind that and how will that how can that inform players to create really distinct characters yeah, um, uh, all credit to this cast, to to Jackson and Colin and Chris Cantwell and the Defiant book. Um, you know, I, I went to Jackson and Colin originally and was like, pitch me, you know, pitch me Star Trek, pitch me Star Trek, no, no subtitle. We called it Star Trek, no colon for a very long time. Um, and uh, find who are the Avengers of Star Trek? What does that look like? Um, and I left that totally up to them to do and and they were the ones who came back to me with Benjamin Cisco, you know, as as our Iron Man essentially, right? Like as our as our head of of this crew and um I I loved that. I was so excited with that pick solely because, you know, um I think a lot of people, most people, especially casual viewers, right, will say, well Kirk Kirk or or Picard, right? Those are those are you know, who you pick. And so, um, having this very amazing leader, but he's also very emotionally driven. Um, you know, you never quite know which Benjamin Cisco reaction you're going to get in some moments, whether he's going to be really quiet or what, whether he's going to be, you know, very expressive and passionate, you know, whatever. Um, and I love that. I loved him coming forward. Um, and, but I was very, from the very, very beginning, I was, um, pretty emphatic that I wanted new faces. I wanted new characters in there. Um, because one, um, if there are characters that we create, then we get to decide their fate. Um, and when you're having a crusher, a data, a Cisco in this time period, well, we know crusher ends up in Picard season three, so nothing can happen to her. Well, we know Benjamin Sisko never comes back, you know, um, you know, that Lower Decks episode, they say he hasn't come back down from the wormhole yet. So like he's still up there, you know, we know Data dies and Nemesis, right? We know all of these things. Um, and so, you know, that keeps their fates, their stakes, right? These things like not as quote unquote dangerous as as they could be. But when we, when we add Talir, when we add Dashini, when we add Lily, right? When we add all of these new faces and we learn to love them and become endeared to them, um, then when we see what happens with Lily in uh, Glass and Bone, right? In the Zenkathy arc, um, we're heartbroken, right? Um, when we see what happens, uh, I'll give a little tease. When we see what happens between Lily and Talir's friendship um, in the next arc, we don't know what's going to happen there, right? Like, um, and it gives us a lot of angles to explore um, 
their perspective of this universe in a way that 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 we don't know. Um, and so you're in. And so what would your like advice be to character development for a, a person around the table, especially uh, with your experience in RPG too? Yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm definitely a lead with your intuition, lead with your gut, right? It's, it's understanding, um, core, uh, moral thoughts of your characters. I think like really understanding what motivates them, what they want, right. Um, what their quote unquote red flags are, what their biggest flaws are, um, and where their moral high ground, so to speak, lies. You know, what is the line in the sand that they will not cross? Um, what is the line in the sand that they will cross if someone hands them a million dollars, right? Gives them the thing they most want. Um, and and knowing those will inform the choices that, that the characters make. And I think um, making choices is such a, a, a strong component of that. Interesting characters make interesting choices. Boring characters don't make choices. Um, no one likes a passive character or if a character, um, is passive, are they choosing to be passive and why are they choosing to be passive? You know, what's the intention behind choosing to stand back? Right. Um, and, and it's these thoughts and these choices and thinking those through really inform who your character is and, and how you can stay true to that. Um, that's a lot of my theater background, uh, <laughs> coming out, but I think, but, uh, but it, it, but that it's true. It's, you know, our choices reflect who we are and, and inform who we are as, as just human beings. And what are our characters who are our characters, if not human beings or, or mm -hmm. whatever species in their own right. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is tying right into the it was so in, in Star Trek Adventures, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to, to play it or check it out, but every character has a set of values and those values define who that person is in, in a very important way. And then during the course of the game, they can challenge those values or test those values and those values will change. Right. As, as they experience life and realize that maybe that value wasn't the most effective thing and I need to rethink it and I need to rejigger it. Uh, then they grow and they develop and they change. And I know we often tell our players, like, really lean lean into your values because that is what defines your character, even more so than the mechanical numbers and and that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's just fascinating to to hear you to hear you saying it. So that's that's really cool. Um, Michael, did you have another question for uh, for Heather? Yeah, I, I have one for me and one from a fan also, because uh, right. um, so we'll get to that. But let me, I, I have to ask this just because. It's happening now. We've had Thomas Maroney on our show, STO, lead art director for STO. Uh, Derek Tyler Attico, he just wrote the Cisco novel. I don't know if you've had the chance to read it. It's amazing. Um, Jackson, Jody, you know, uh, uh, Eric Campbell, who mm -hmm. played RPG and their ship ended up in Picard. So what would you do if some of these characters that you're creating in the comics, like I'm going to put some happiness into the universe, some wish in the universe for you ended up actually in canon i know you brought shacks into the comic right mm -hmm. but what if it works back possibility how would you feel i mean anything is possible right um it would be i mean it's surreal i had something similar happen working on star wars you know working on star wars one of the characters i helped bring forward in the comics black Santon, ended up on the book of boba fett show um Whoa it was, I cried. Like I didn't, I couldn't compute. I couldn't process it happening. And then, you know, there's this wiki that I helped bring, you know, to life in the comics. 
end up on TV. I think I was a little more excited when I found out he ended up in Fortnite and I got to buy his skin and play him in Fortnite than I was when he was on TV. Um, That's just me. But, uh, you know, anything, anything is possible. We work so closely um, with Mike McMahon. We work so closely, you know, um, I I got to um, get to know Terry Metalis a lot, um, you know, when he was doing the Picard 3, because we, I don't know, you know, we use a lot of those characters in in these comics. And so, um, you know, getting to intertwine with all of that, you know, getting to work with the folks doing Strange New Worlds, like all of these things, like, so I work very closely with everyone involved. So nothing is out of the realm of possibility. Um, It happens all of the time. Um, And, you know, the USS Theseus just appeared in the STO game, uh, which that was really cool that they wanted to put our ship from our comic into that game. That was so cool. That is cool. This is, okay, so then I have to do this for Jim because Jim's not going to ask and I am. Okay, so you know, I, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the world that was built kind of by Dayton Ward, Scott Pearson, Derek Tyler Attico. They all kind of input for this thing called the Shackleton Expanse and Star Trek, the IP gave Jim and back then Nathan Dowdell the permission to build a whole side of the, on the far side of the beta quadrant called the Shackleton Expanse. The kind game kind of owns that. Everyone in RPG is saying, when is it going to show up somewhere? Comic book. And so I'm putting this out into the universe for Jim Shackleton expanse, just okay. those two words got it. and we okay. can cry. I don't okay. know. I've been, I've been, I've been bugging Dayton for years to just <laughs> drop it into a novel. Cause he write, he writes a bunch of the Star Trek novels. Yeah. Right. So it's like, please just, just one little throwaway line somewhere just to, just to connect the dots. Cause like I, we love um, working with all the other licensors, right. Or licensees. Like we, we worked with STO, we worked with Star Trek timelines. We've worked with, uh, uh, a little bit with IDW, uh, when we had the opportunity to do the year five, uh, supplement. And it's like, come on, Dayton, just put one little, one little line, some throwaway dialogue from some character who was there for a little while, but, uh, hasn't quite happened yet. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> oh man. I, when I talk with Dayton Monday, I'm just going to say Dayton, I have two words for you. Shackleton expanse, just to see how he responds. Uh-huh. Oh, please record that and get it. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll try. I'll like a try. like a like a one shot. Yeah. <laughs> or a uh, what, what what do they call them? Uh, uh, ash can, right? There do, you do, go. Do a ten page ash can. <laughs> he might cry. You may you may actually give him a heart leap if you do that. Please tell me how that turns out. I, I just got to know. I will. I will. I will. So in along that same line, the question that came from Al Spader, he's actually one of the freelance writers. He's a game creator. He created something called Sentience. But he had a question for you, which I don't even know what the question means. So I'm going to hope you know what it means, because I, I, I'm, I, I would say I'm the average geek. I'm not like the full in geek. I, okay. I just want to admit that. So he was asking, can we create missions that they illustrate as comics like The Last God did at DC? Uh, like imagine a Picard's Academy sta supplement but as a comic book with their artists i don't know what that question means i don't know either um jim do you know i i will admit i am i am not as big of a geek as al apparently because i'm not quite sure what he's talking about he said that so i've just uh, one last sentence of explanation the last god released a 5e world guide and adventure in comic format with their artists doing the art might be cool to do something like that with idw oh it sounds like it was something that was like a fan-made adventure that they made into a comic book mm. okay i, don't I know. that's kind of how i'm interpreting that mm-hmm. um i could be entirely wrong 
Um, all of this to say, uh, it's probably unlikely. Um, you know, <laughs> since we uh, don't know what the hell you're talking about, Al. <laughs> well, well, but also, you know, like the comics are considered, you know, they're they're canon in their own right, like the, in yeah. our own universe, right? We have we have our own canon in the comics, and so, um, you know, everything goes through the licensor and like fan made. St- it's it becomes a very tricky legally. Basically, all of this to say is it becomes very tricky legally, and uh, so that probably won't happen because of that. It's why we can't print fan art, right? And, right. and a lot of the stuff it becomes very very tricky legally. So, yeah. um, I think I think you know in response to Al tangentially. I think the two things that are maybe possible and Heather, you can certainly push back and say, no, that's not going to happen is, uh, is if we were to um, like write a standalone adventure or something, right. And, and commission a handful of pieces of art in the comic style. Right. And, and, and use that as our art instead of commissioning the. Uh, yeah. Create the, a zine. Like, yeah. Or a zine. Know, yeah. Uh, and own. then the other, and then the other thing is we, we would do a, another version, not another version of year five, but use year five as a model to where you once you have a series that's complete and in the can, we could we could talk about that and say, hey, you know, we did a we did a year five supplement and it was super fun and the fans ate it up. And you IDW was so super generous letting us use all the artwork, which was a, a godsend, seriously, because the art is so fantastic. Um you know, do something like that. Like if, if you have a series that's completed and done and we could do a supplement that relates to that series, uh, that way it's, it's still using the stuff that's already approved by the licensor in both directions. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, all kinds of possibilities. It just depends on bandwidth, I think. Yeah. 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 I think, yeah, having something that was completely a fan made story then to be published, like it it just becomes a tricky legal thing. That's just all, Unfortunately, that's, you know, but, but all of that to say, create your own stuff, you know, that mm-hmm. that's some of the coolest uh, Star Trek comic things I've seen have been like fan made things that I've, I've seen at conventions that are super, super cool that we couldn't publish for, for one reason or another, um, because rules, mm-hmm. but, um, it's still super cool. Yeah. <laughs> we encourage people if they're really passionate about something, just do it right, 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 right. Wanna- you know. One of the coolest Star Trek comics out there is Martok by Daniel Warren Johnson. And it it is not an official comic in any way, shape or form. It was his fan made comic that he did just because he loves Klingons. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's my encouragement to people, especially with uh, Michael, because Michael, um, when when Star Trek Adventures came out in 2017, Michael uh, was uh, a co um owner or a co whatever i don't know what you call it michael uh but co-blogger he ran, <laughs> co-blogger he ran a, a fan website called continuing mission which was just you know creating amazing fan-made supplements mm-hmm. for the game just for the for the love of it and um and that's how i noticed his work and i reached out to him and i said hey you're doing some amazing fan stuff do you want to write for the game and you know i brought him in that way and, and after i urinated myself <laughs> well, we, we didn't need to know that <laughs> but but no that's yeah. that's that's true i mean again yeah. daniel warren johnson who is one of the most sought after and biggest comics you know mm-hmm. writers and artists out there right now like he got noticed he got his start um not just because of his own creator own work but he did um this co- he did the martok comic that he did on his own and he just like self-published it and sold it at conventions he also did um what was it uh green leader which was you know his 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 star wars fan comic and and those like got very very popular and caught the attention of you know mm-hmm. folks like me and other editors out there and and right. yeah now he's 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 big shot so uh-huh. um 
that's a good story. Yeah, and your, I, your fan stuff, like it, it might not ever get published uh, by the the IP, but it can get eyes on it, right? Yeah. And and that can lead to um, getting jobs. Jennifer Heddle is a great writer. Um, uh, again, on the on the Star Wars side, but she, you know. Um, she got hired because uh, of relationships she built back when she was in the fan fiction community. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, being being a good writer is being a good writer, whether it's fan fiction, whether it's your, you know, your own self-published stuff, whether it is, you know, writing Spider-Man for Marvel. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it all takes the same craft, uh, same skills, same discipline, same dedication. Yeah. Um, so you're never going to get there unless you write that. What was it? 10,000, 10,000 hours. Right. Yeah. So you better start now. <laughs> yeah, or, or for, or for novelists, write a million words and then, and then you'll be going somewhere. Right. Yeah. You, you got to put the work in. Uh, but I think it also ties into what you were saying earlier, Heather, about, you know, working with a, an artist and finding what they're passionate about. Like if you put your passion into your work and you're just publishing it for the love and you're just getting it out there, someone's going to notice it and they're going to see that passion, you know, woven all throughout all the work that you're doing. And then, you know, it might open doors. So it's just exciting to hear that. So uh, I think we've kept you long enough and you've been super generous with your time. We really appreciate that. We wanted to try to keep this under an hour because uh, uh, Michael and I would go on all night continuing continuing conversation just forever with you. Um, so we want to be respectful of that. So uh, what we do at the end here is we uh, we just, you know just say some final words and then we do some gratitude. So um, I think um, we'll just go around and um, uh, Michael, why don't you kick us off with some final words and then your uh, your gratitude. Sure. Um, I have to give my gratitude to the team you formed. You formed the Avengers of comic writers and producers and editors and artists. Um, because, um, again, I, I, I was talking to uh, Jackson and Connor the other day. I said, would you stop writing for a month just so I can catch up? There's so much out there right now. Um, and what you're doing in your leadership role is really bringing Star Trek alive in such a fresh palatable way and i just really appreciate it's very impactful especially for those of us who love writing so much you're giving us a lot of good fodder to work with um (laughs) and i I really hope that there's a closer relationship between all these entities and different things more and more as the futures go so thank you so much heather for your leadership on that and i love uh just the fact that that you've worked from your passion all these years to get there it's just so cool all right back to you heather who's your gratitude to Oh my gosh, my gratitude is just to the world and and just the fans that the opportunity to get to tell these stories and work in these worlds and and the response uh, over the last. I just realized I've been in comics professionally for ten years. Um, as of next week, actually, um, and to to meet fans at shows and and have people like tell me how much my work has impacted them and, and connected them and in, in, in different ways. And they feel seen with, you know, these characters that a lot of us might think like, Oh, that's just a character from a TV show. But um, you know, we're all fans of, of characters for a reason, right? There is all a character that we see ourselves in and um, to be a part of someone seeing themselves in the greater IP um, is just like so humbling um and to have the platform that i have where i get to impact um these worlds that so many people are connected to it's it's just i'm very grateful for that opportunity and um you know i i tell these stories and treat these characters with a lot of care um because you know i'm a fan too 
Amen to that. Absolutely. Thank you, Heather. Really appreciate that. Um, I am grateful to 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 you and to and to everybody at IDW and uh, and Colin and Jackson and I mean literally the entire Star Trek family. Right. We we have been so lucky to have so many amazing people be willing to talk to us on the show and like from the production people who are working on the actual television shows, um, you know, and then and, and new folks and uh, artists and designers and just you know Thomas Maroney and everyone like has that Star Trek family vibe, right? Where we're all so generous with each other and we take the care to talk to each other and just share insights and anecdotes and, uh, and, and just the love for the franchise, right. That's been around for almost 60 years and, and we're all just in love with it. And uh, it's just so amazing. And I'm so grateful that somehow everyone finds time to work with each other and it kind of brings all the different licensees together into kind of a sort of cohesive whole. And I know that, you know, spending a lot of time on social media with the fans, like they get it, they see it, right. They see the connections between STO and the comics and the role-playing game and all this other stuff. And then even, you know, STO into the, into Canon, right. Where they brought those ships into the last season of Picard. And it's like, Ooh, that started off as a, as a, actually uh, um, the, um, uh, uh, Eric Campbell's ship was uh, started off life in the RPG and then it got into STO and then from STO it went into the TV show right so um, and all that happens because all of us are talking to each other and we're this little community within the bigger Star Trek family community and then I'm just grateful grateful for everybody and for you of course for for taking the time to talk with us um, and then I you know I'm I never say it enough, but uh, I'm grateful to the fans, right? Because without the fan base that we all have that we share, we wouldn't be doing any of this cool stuff. And so grateful to the fans for for being supportive of all the different licensees and uh, and the game and the comics and everything else, because uh, uh, we're here for you. And we're we're all and I, I can hear it in your voice, Heather, you are trying to be a good shepherd of your piece of the of the franchise. And we're doing the same thing over here. And I know, you know, Dayton's doing his part on the novels. And uh, it's just great to see Star Trek is uh very healthy and very alive right now and it's just a really great place to be and you win the award just because you brought back harry kim so you're good for the next 55 <laughs> years 55 years you're good <laughs> all right cool so with that said the conversation continues again thank you heather for coming on until next time idic live long and prosper be safe be well and we'll talk to you all next time